We would like to welcome our listener to the podcast series Who's Universal, which will be hosting in the run-up to the White West Conference, taking place in the 5th and 6th of March 2021 at Haus der Kulturen der Welt. It is co-organized together with Anna Teixeira-Pinto and Anselm Franco. My name is Kader Atia, and our guest today is Olivier Marbeuf. Olivier Marbeuf is an author, performer, and curator. He founded the independent art center Espace Chiasma, which he has run in Les Lilas on the outskirts of Paris from 2004 to 2018. At this center, he developed a program addressing minority representations through exhibitions, screenings, debates, performance, and collaborative projects across the northeast of Paris. He is interested in the different modalities of transmissions of knowledge and narrative forms in art. Olivier, this is my first question. You and I come from a working class, racialized background, where from a very young age, we know that the struggle, the fight to exist from the individual to the collective is a class struggle. And today in the community of anti-racist activists and theorists, this struggle, this fight is crucial for the evolution of the decolonial thinking. Do you think that the mythology of universalism also affects anti-racist intellectuals and activists? How and why does this happen? Thank you, Kader, for that first question, which is a big one. And so I have to say, first thing, you, it's nice to always say from from what kind of perspective we are speaking. And I think it's really nice that you introduce the fact that we are both coming from working class background, which is not the case of all the speakers in the area of the anti-racist uh, uh, struggles or debates. And you and I, we got also in common to be involved in the world of art, which is really often uh, a space where the class question is, is a kind of um, is blinding by uh, with other um, items or issues. So I, I do think I do think the our work, and it's a real difficult uh, job to do, but we have to to try to do that. Is always to work with the principle of a real and really concrete intersection in between the different level of the struggle. And so a lot of people, especially in the world of art, like to talk about the intersections, but it's not only a kind of fetish, a way of saying, but it's really a real art practice. And so I think we can, to begin with the notion of universalism, we can, Perhaps, and I will try to stress the question. And um, yes, pointing really the aspect or the question of visibility and invisibility, 
I think there is a lot of different way of addressing universalism, but you and I were coming from the visual art world and in the visual art world, there is that issue of visibility. What is visible and what a certain kind of visibility blind. And so this is really the central, I think, articulation of the question of universalism in the French context, for instance. That means when you say citizen, for instance, it always has been built as an idea that was covering a kind of all the possibility of equalities. But we discovered in time, working on the history of the, of the production of the notion of citizenship in France, that it was also a way to blind uh, things. And we know that, for instance, it was blinding some uh, racial issues, some gender issues, extra, and class issues. And so I think there is different way of addressing what is invisible in a certain context. And I think from the art perspective, I will say there is an issue with also the language, at least on two levels. The first, um, the first level would be to be able to host all kind of way of saying the, the present reality. That means that the construction of a certain language to address some questions coming mostly from the academics in the world of art, I think it's a kind of mistake. We need to enlarge as much as we can the different way of saying a reality, even if those way of saying are a bit fragile or not so elegant or eloquent, that could be other way of saying. So create a kind of hospitality with the way of saying is for me a real concrete, um, let's say, project for the art world, which is not really, really uh, uh, welcoming from the different way of saying, and is more walking in a kind of, in a mimetic way. So when you are going like you and I, we, are, we used to go from here to there, hearing in, let's say, Portugal, Germany, England, France, the same way of saying, the same word, the same kind of English, it's really problematic for me. And it's really a central question. So there is really that notion of hospitality for different ways of saying things and trying to come back to the languages. That means also, because we use English to be able to understand each other, but also never forget that we got other kind of other languages and that we can use those languages um, to write, to speak, and so on. And I will notice just a point. Uh, I'm, I'm a writer, so I'm writing, um, let's say, fiction, theory, poesy, and a kind of mix of all those things altogether. But I'm mostly translating my text and working with a translator because I got a personal fight with French. It's something super personal um, for people like me, like you and others, that we are not only a French speaker, but we are speaking also all the languages as French person. I mean, I'm speaking Creole, you can speak Arabic. That means there is an internal conflict in our life, and that struggle has to be visible in our way of using the French language. And so if we switch too often to that kind of vehicular language, that English is, we miss a lot of kind of, yeah, different way of saying. 
so that's why I'm working a lot on the translation and, of course, on the impossibility of translate. And the translator are most of the time working with, she always asks me tons of questions. Says, Olivia, how can we translate that? And so we spend a really fascinating moment in that exercise of translating as we need, as you know, to always reintroduce the specificity of certain contexts, even in between different uh, European countries, because we know that we all have specific way of naming things. And I can take the, a really well-known example, a double example, is in English, the fact that as in French, we can't, we can't translate blackness. So it's not a question of not having the world, it's because it's not the same concept. Because Arabic people in France are black people, Roma people are black people, because they are living under the threat of the same police violence that is a way of blackened people. So the notion of blackness as only the black-skinned people doesn't work in the French context. So this is in one sense, and the other sense coming from the uh, French Creole and Caribbean context to the English one, we have to be able to address and use the term negre, because we know that in the uh, uh, UK or in the uh, United States context, there is a N word which is forbidden. But we can do that in the French context. We have to use the term negre, because we need that term to address something specific, which is not black. And you know, for instance, in Haitian Creole, to, to, when you met somebody in, in the street, which is a black person, you says, I met a negre. To say a person, you use the term neg, which is the creole for neg. And we need that things. We need that specific tools to be able to talk about the specificity of the language in a specific context. So when my translator is working on my text and has got the term neg, it says, okay, Olivier, we're gonna, gonna write black. Yeah, but each time I write a long note on the fact that in my text, this is not black. So sorry for the English uh, readers, but they, they don't really, they, don't, they won't get the real sense of what I want to say try to, with that translation. So that decision of considering some words can be used, create a kind of mistranslation, and you miss the specificity of the Caribbean perspective in that kind of translation. And, and it's super important for me, and I, I prefer to write in a certain language, and to write some notes, because I love notes as a kind of pre-vocality on the text. And so introduce that, okay, I'm sorry for the English speakers, but I don't write in English as my first language. So I keep some words that I'm using as a French racialized person. And if you want to know more about that, you have to accept to come in that language and understand its context understand the French context, the Caribbean context, the fact that we can, you can be French and American in a geographical way, because the Caribbean people are American people. We are coming from the Americas. And so when, for instance, the President Macron says, we don't want all that uh, uh, concept coming from the Americas in the French context, but sorry, Caribbean, French Caribbean people are from the Americas. If you always forget that. So we are coming from that geographical zone and from that history of the Americas. That's why I think for American and, and black uh, thinkers in Europe, they have to understand the specificity of the France. Of course, it can include also all the, the former colonial area of France. 
to understand how we, we address things which are quite different than the way they are doing. And I don't want to, to go to the search of the Anglo-American way of thinking the blackness because I'm sorry, I don't need it. I like to read American thinkers and English thinkers, but it's not a search for me. It's really a space that we have to buy internal debates. And so just to finish with what you address with the class debate, it's exactly the same thing. I think if the term of blackness is here to blind some uh, class difference, so I don't really need it. We don't need words that covered the, the, the internal tension inside the people of color. So because universalism is already in the French context doing that kind of job. It, it's a way of blinding what's happening under the cover, you know, underneath the cover. And so your, your work and mine is always been to try to, yeah, to go through that cover and to open that screen, which is a kind of way of blinding the complexity of the life we have. And there is a gender dimension of that too. We know that with the white feminism uh, in France, we know that considering that the black men and the Arabic men are the really the dangerous person one, is not considering that there is not only men or women. And so the, the black masculinity in general sense of the term is still need to be um, complexified and explain as a really specific masculinity in the context of France or elsewhere. Thank you, Olivier. Um, I really like this uh, uh, sort of evidence of how much a language that has a, sort of a kind of uh, vernacular DNA in its own meanings can be, should be, I would say, not protected, but honed by the author, a little bit like Edouard Glissant claimed the right for opacity. You know what I mean? And I'm very, I mean, grateful of this idea of uh, struggling against the, 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 the repression of visibility, invisibility that is carried into the universalism agenda um, with what you just said about the language. It leads us to an, the next question that I've been inspired for me from Malcolm Ferdinand, a scholar, an engineer in ecology who comes also from the Caribbean, from the Martinique, the area where you've been walking a lot and where you're from. So this is my question. You and I share an interest in the thought of Malcolm Ferdinand, who questions the notion of colonial universalism in his critique of the Anthropocene. Based on the myth of Noah's Ark, exemplified by institutional ecology, has the saving myth of humanity. Malcolm Ferdinand reappropriates this myth of saving ship by creating a connection with the hierarchy of the slave ship from the deck to the hold of the ship and the global society of the forgotten and the privileged. In our past dialogues, we have talked a lot about the problem of the invisibility and visibility imposed on the body of the colonial and post-colonial racialized people. We just spoke about that. It seems to me that universalism is also present in the case of police violence and the prioritization sorry, of victims. For example, 
the crime perpetrated by the French police against Mr. Michel Zecler, a music producer in a bourgeois district of Paris, and therefore a generator of empathy with the public. Do you think that here too, the question of social class is evacuated by the general in indignation about the fact that Michel Zecler is an entrepreneur in a bourgeois district of Paris? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really strong question. I would say first, um, there are a lot of events, uh, violent events that are happening in our society, and, and there is different category of events. There are the visible events, and there are the invisible events. First thing, I will, I will say there is already uh, something here. I think we don't have to be blind by a kind of super evident violence. And in that way, I will agree with what uh, the African-American uh, writer, Sadia Hartman, said about the fact that in a certain way, even in the storytelling of the slavery, on the violence on the U.S. and elsewhere, we have been really focused on the visible violence. That means that the violence that have been produced uh, in some kind of body, in public space, and so on, the kind of um, yeah super visible uh, situation of violence. And she advocated that it uh, we have now to come back really delicately on the violence that have been produced also in the space of the master house, the called habitation in the, in the Creole context. That means that we have also to think about the way that violence can be also a gender issue, because the violence against the body of black women have been really often a kind of more invisible violence than the violence uh, uh, against the black men. So it's already a kind of uh, a gender difference. And I know you know, like me, like Francoise Vergès, work a lot about about the kind of um, uh, the ownership of the body of the woman and also the economy of care, which is also the violence of attentions. I'm super inspired on that question because I do think that walking in the world of art like you, we should be we should uh, pay a lot of attention on the symbolic violence and the and the demand of attentions that that is still um, that is keep that is still here and keep on uh, making a kind of symbolic violence on the racialized bodies from the from the white body asking for attentions. So this is the same idea with the Noah Hark that says, I'm the white savior and now you have to pay attention to my solutions. As the Anthropocene could be considered as a, a storytelling that is blinding all the, all the scene the plantation of sin and, and the capital of sin that are, that are more racialized scenes than the Anthropocene is at the moment. That means that there was a wide storytelling and, about, and, and which asking of attention to everybody, a kind of unified humanity that doesn't exist when, when they are... Uh, um, when there are some means to get, it exists when there are problems to solve. So we are all responsible, but, but we don't have all the benefits 
of the of the of what is produced or what is extracted. So that is that first point for me is so important. I do think that the world of art could be understand if we take the plantation display as I as I often do, as also the kind of violence that happened in the in the master house. And this is a violence in between men and women, but also between women and women. And so the kind of really super blind violence in between white and black women, for instance, that have been for a really long time and a too long time, a uh, kind of invisible uh, uh, concept. And Francoise Verges and others uh, contribute to try to make visible that there is, in, that is inside the, the feminism still a racial problem like Bell Hooks did and others. So that is the first, I think, difference. And and so uh, I recently wrote about the really famous um, uh, discourse of Malcolm X saying, I'm a field niggers, and making an opposition in between the field niggers and the house niggers, considering that the house niggers is caring about the master and not the field niggers. And I think it's a mistake. And it's a kind, in certain way, a sexist way of considering the situation. Because in the house, there is a lot of violence too. And so it's not, and, and the care doesn't mean that it's not a negative care. And I do think that as people in color in the art fields, we always, we have been for a super long time embedded in a collective body with a kind of negative care, the obligation of caring of people you don't want to care about, but you're obliged to care. Because they got all the means to help you to do what you have to do. So I do think that what the woman live in the uh, in the in the master house is really something that is precious to understand for to understand our situations because the world of art is able to talk about the visible violence let's say the yeah the super visible violence of the slavery the public violence but they don't we don't address a lot the intimacy of the violence, the symbolic violence, the contingency in the sense of a negative contingency, negative care, dependence. So the absence of, of independence, I will say, and you and I, we both know that trying to be independent is super difficult. It's for me a central issue. So there is that two things. And in the visible uh, sphere, there is another thing that you, you, you call it and you talk about empathy. I don't think there is a huge problem with the notion of empathy. And this is because if we consider empathy as a way of seeing you in the other, it's a process of projection. That's why it's a class issue too, of course. Because most of the time, when somebody coming from the poor background and popular uh, working class background, there is not a lot of projection of that person except from the other people coming from the working class background. That means people don't have a lot of power. But as soon as there is a possible projection in a body, in, in a class dimension, it could be a white uh, body with Charlie for Charlie Hebdo uh, attack and drama, for instance. And it could be, of course, and it will be more and more on body of people of color, as soon as those people accept a certain uh, a so social display and a certain a certain de uh, domination, a class de domination, that can be in a certain way blind by the color of the skin. And I will say in that case, people of color can be a kind of camouflage of the white, uh, of, the, uh, of the continuity of the white supremacy. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in the case of uh, uh, Michel Zecler, uh, it's good that we, we of course, he, this guy, also, I, I mean, yeah, he has for him that he's also, and we know you and I, uh, probably an entrepreneur, but it it might have not been easy for him to own its own uh, music uh, a studio production, etc. But indeed, this sort of uh, institutional indignation, indignation for me hide the, the whole invisible uh, victims of police violence on the base of their colors, you know, or their religion. I would like to, yeah, to add the, the fact that in a certain way, if you remember how it happened, uh, and I talk about the invisible and the visible, and in the visible context, there was us after the visible, so what you can see with your eye, through most of the time the mediation of a, uh, of a tool, of a visual tool, a camera, and so on, there is also the storytelling. So there is a kind of double way of seeing things. The first one is what you can see with your eyes through a mediation of a camera, so a certain kind of frame and so on, but you can see things. But you never see, uh, especially specifically with especially with the the media we're living in, you never see without a voice, without a storytelling. So there is a kind of contamination of the seeing by the storytelling. And what is the storytelling? Is is the production of the uh, what I call criminal lives. That means that when somebody is killed by the police, the storytelling is. Uh, is a way to prove that there is a good reason. That means he is a criminal, as if a criminal can be can be killed. And each time uh, somebody is killed by the police, there is always that uh, the storytelling coming with the image. From George Floyd was the case. Say, oh, that guy have been in jail five years. Oh, that guy. So that means it's a dangerous body. It's a criminal body. And so there is a kind of banality of the death in that case. And it's what happened after so long time of violence on black people in America. That happened, it's a kind of feelings that it it, it became what they call and what, uh, for instance, Christina Sharp called a climate. It's a climate as the we- and a weather. She talked about a weather. And I like that idea, which is super violence. The violence become a weather for you. So, and so it, it's a way that people accept, finally, it's a kind of black pessimism perspective, of course. But the black pessimism is not coming only as a conceptual tool. It's not only an intellectual debate like people think. It's also a kind of mood. And you know, as me, that people for our generation in the outskirts, we have been at some point really sad, deeply sad. It's not a, a, a little sadness. It's not only... I always try to share with people that feelings, uh, the fatality of being as coming from the outskirts, which is a really deep mood. It's not only an idea. It's not only a contact. It's not only a personal thing, because you can in your life be able to do things, and you did things, and I did things. But our brother, our sister, our friends, they have been killed. They have been, they're living in asylum. So... I do things that I, I, I don't agree with the conceptual background of the black pessimism, but I understand the mood. There is a mood of saying, okay, when it's going to stop? 
when it's gonna stop and it's gonna stop as soon as we're gonna be pushed from the place we were in the periphery of the big cities to be replaced by other people so it's never finished and the only way of uh, of finish with that for me i consider is a kind of consentment it's a consent it's a consent okay you accept you said okay i consent to be to to be to agree with you so the idea of the consent is for me a super violent idea because it became now the only way of saving your life so now people of color you know arabic people and so on now they know the only way to save your life is to consent and for me the struggle is here to say i'm sorry i want to be able to live even with a criminal life and i don't want to defend myself anymore from be from having a criminal life you produce the weather where my life is criminal and so i don't want to defend me because i don't create that whether you did so i don't want to defend me and i don't want to be the good black person i don't want to i don't want to consent to be a good person because i'm able to speak and i'm able to articulate i'm stay with my people that's mean i'm somebody from the outskirts and we got a kind of sadness in us and that sadness have to be heard we don't it's not it's not a claim it's really a mood so i think in our work you can feel you can see there is something that is here and we can blind it because we got in in our body as we we talk about it few days ago was about the fact that people oh you know when you are there some people are afraid to speak uh, yeah okay but i don't want to apologize by being there i'm sorry and i don't want to consent to be a good black man it's really central for me and this is a struggle of the moment we have already discussed the, the violence inflicted on the post-colonial body Uh, continuing the violence institutionalized in slavery and then colonialism. I was thinking here about our discussion on the Theo Luakas uh, 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 case, you, you remember. What explains and how do you think is articulated the institutionalized Islamophobia in France, uh, based on the universalism of secularism, continuing the criminalization of the body, of the colonized? You, you were the one, Olivier, who told me about this very strong word, Le, le, le corps criminel, le corps criminel the, the, the criminalized body. In relation to the Muslim woman, woman who wears the veils and is not accepted in the trips organized by her children's school, and above all, the discussion generated by these refusals echoed by politicians, men and women, I would add here from right to left, in the media and on social networks. Yeah. I have to confess first, as you know, that we got a kind of French specificity in that case. And a lot of my friends always ask me what's happening with the veil in France. And it's true, we got a kind of hysteria around that things. I think there is different way of answering your question. But the first one, which is, I think, the practice of uh, um, decolonial storytelling is just to, um, to underline and to retell the story, but in the colonial context, unveiling Arabic women, specifically in uh, Algeria, for instance, have been a process of, of a colonial, have been a colonial gesture. 
I think people have to know that there is the, the, the it happened a lot of time in the public space that there was there were really ceremonies of unveiling women that mean liberating them uh, from the, their I don't know what from their prison for somewhere uh, to become real women. And so the gesture of unveiling is really deeply inscribed in the colonial history of France. So first thing, and I, I, I'm sure that most of the French people don't know it. So it's really first, the, our, our story is storytell. So I'm, I do things that I never seen really often in TV, in documentary and so on, that kind of even that most of people really interested in that issue know, ceremonies of enveloping, enveloping women. So it happened super violence. So the veil have been the crystallization of two things. The male gaze, uh, which is a colonial gaze. I want to see all the body which are in my disposition. So the white gaze and the white colonial gaze is exactly based on that. I want to see around me all the resources which are available. So it's central. So the gesture of veiling is a gesture of refusing to the white colon gaze something. And so it's really, and since the colonial time until now, it's a kind of subtraction from a certain gaze. And so it's and so this is the first thing, the relation in between the colonial gaze to the indigenous. The second one is the relation in between men and men and the man domination. You can subtract you as an indigenous male, the resource of the body of the woman from my gaze. So there is a kind of triangulation of domination. I want to have that body of woman, which is a part of the Orientalism concept. I want to have that body I'm dreaming of. And I refuse that you, as an Arabic man, who live under my domination, make a decision of what I can see and what I can't see. There is that two things, which is totally out of the religion questions. This is not only a question of respecting or not. All the debate is displaced because I do think that in France, really often, there is always diversions. That means that it's super hard to address the real questions because there is fake issues that we have to talk. And we talk about the exhaustment of being captured by fake conversation about veil, which is only the decision of a part of the society to can uh, use all the resources. And you know, after the extractivism uh, of the matter, the new extraction of the cog cognitive capitalism is the idea, the knowledge, and the body. So now it's the same thing that's happening, for instance, in a big art institution at the moment. They want now black, queer body, and you have to commit now. Not tomorrow. You don't have to refuse anything. So I think the central point is that, uh, in the French context at least, that the concept of universalism is in fact a kind of an idea of an assembly around a certain kind of body, 
around the body, which would be the reference, the reference. And so it's not said. And so mm, you never heard talking about around what kind of attitude and body we, we, we should create our assembly. In all the mythology of the French universalism is that we there is a we and we collectively decide what is the universalism. It's a kind of come together, which is not true because we don't participate and we don't build collectively what should be or could be the universalism. It's always the same, um, the uh, the kind of continuation of what the colonial context create as universalism. That's mean a gathering around a right body and a right gaze. So for me, first things is that the obsession of the veil is an obsession against the, the capacity of, of subtraction from the colonial gaze, which is really clear. And so, and of course, we can see in that case, and which is super interesting, is that uh, the, the colonial gaze is not only a, patriarchal, a patriarchal question. It's also, it can be also addressed by uh, women. And so the patriarchal system can be also performed by women for sure. So there is that, there is that kind of central uh, uh, but never clearly said centrality of the white body in the concept of universalism, which is the first problem with the veil. And so after that, all people around that body have, as I said before, they have to consent. And some people, they consent to, to speak a certain language, other people they consent to be there or here, and other people they consent to perform their sexuality. For instance, if you are an Arabic woman, Muslim, you have to be queer. If you are queer, it's okay. And in that case, it's not only a personal sexuality, it's a kind of what I call a sin of consent. So you consent to give to the other a part of his own idea of what universalism could be and his own idea about the kind of um, difference difference that can be accepted, you know? And that's why I'm talking about the criminal body. So the criminal body have to accept to, to speak, to defend himself. That means that you can born as a criminal body and to be part of the of this universalism, you have to, to, to work and to perform a kind of scene of justice, scene of crime, where you are already guilty. You are guilty from the beginning. And so that gesture of trying to show to people that you are not a criminal body, that you are not a dangerous body, is a sense of consent. And I, I think we have to really refuse to make that movement towards a kind of sensuality. Uh, and of course, in France, in in, in in certain way, the French context is really useful in its success because it's a really nice place, even if it's really painful to, to be French at the moment. It's a really good place to see what we call the colonial system, which is not only the most visible part, again, it's a really dick systemic that is also an emotional system that is also a psychologic system and while we are calling about a decolonial gesture we are not calling about only you know the the huge things evident of 
extractivism and violence against uh, indigenous people or violence against the land, but also all the psychological state we are staying in, and which is also a kind of national mood. And this is really more important, I think, from our perspective of people coming from the heart to address those questions. And so when I see a lot of debates around the world in art center, they are talking about indigenous people, they are talking about the land, they are talking about extractivism, but really few of them are addressing the emotional and the psychological state, which is the colonial world. Cause art is totally in bed in that question. So the incapacity to address questions that would directly address the world of art as an extractivist space is really for me the more central problematic. So we can play always with a lot of questions that we are out of. We have to now deal with questions we are totally captured in. And I think that the emotional dimension of the colonial body is, I think you you try to address it through your work and other people try to address it. But as you know, we we didn't take part of, of so many seminars talking about that research question because it's much more delicate, the desire to be the center of something. So the heart center, the notion of heart center. And the notion of the place as the, the Noe arc uh, Malcolm Ferdinand is talking about and you talked just uh, earlier. Noe arc is really the idea of we are the boat, and so come in our boat, because our boat is the world. But we are defining what kind of boat, what kind of species, what can are in. So we are creating our world, and we are calling it the world. This is the same problem with the universalism. If the French government and other people in France would be able to say, okay, it's clearly a point of view. What we are proposing is an universalism, and you can address other way of thinking of that. It would be okay. It would be okay a debate in between different way of conceiving the universalism. But they are calling it the universalism, which is really the central problem, because they do as if it will be the place for everybody. And we know it's not the case. There is a lot of limitation, as in the Neuark. The base of the Neuark is the limitation. Only two members of each species. Remember that. The New York is not, we, we, we want the world. We're going to keep only two of its pieces. That means that it's based on the fact there is no room enough to save everybody. So for me, the New York is really a toxic mythology of the limitation. And it's really a us and the others. As when, you know, you heard in the European-wide context when they're talking about Africa, if we want to save the planet, that means our planet, we have to care about the worm of the, um, of the African woman. We have to control the sexuality of the Asian people because we're going to save the world. And so I think I don't say that to be just um, uh, unfair with the Western context because I do think we have been educated that way. We have to confess that we have been all educate that way and unlearning that deconstruct that it's a long process so the first step is to confess that we have been educated in a such a kind of center of the world and we have to deconstruct that idea in our mind firstly 
So emotionally, it means something. When big institutions says we're gonna organize a big seminar about, uh, yeah, I don't know, minority and so on, minority are not supposed to refuse to come. Of course, the center is speaking. And so I do think that the veil is a really good example of finally the, in one end, the capacity of, of refusal of minority to be part of the center. And in the other hand, the example of how that center acts when you refuse to be part of what is considered as the world. You become the savage. You become all the kind of people and definition that means that you're going to die because you, you are pushed out of the humanity. So the, the term of savage has been used against colonial people, but also in the outskirts. And you can kill the savage because you are not killing a human. So the production of the others is a production of the savage. That means the person you can kill. And it's super important when I says you don't have to defend yourself of being a criminal body. And perhaps we should learn also to accept to be savage people. Yeah, if the humanity is the white Occident, Western humanity, if it's the example. So I do accept to be a savage of that species. Because I do think that we, we have to be out of that species and rebuild a way of being collectively a species. So there is always the risk of death. And so when we consent, there is a risk of death, even when there is a kind of kind of friendly uh, invitation to be part of that kind of discussion, that kind of things in big institutions, you are not supposed to refuse. And when you experiment what happens when you refuse, and when you say things you shouldn't say, you see that the scenario is already written before you are coming. There is a kind of scenario for, for the minority, and now they have to consent to that scenario. And it's what's happening at the moment in the hard fields. Uh, black and racialized people have to be cool, queer, and they, they have to obey in certain way or a certain standard of what is the de desirable body at the moment. Because there is, of course, also an issue uh, on uh, a sexual issue in that. You know, and it's the same thing. I think you, you I know you work, you work a lot on psychiatry and the psychological dimension of art. And of course, we have also to keep on addressing uh, the notion of libido in the relationship in between what is the Western epistemology at the moment with the body of the others. Is the new matter to save a kind of body without any more desire? So the rationalist people and minority are the new matter of desire. And so you have to obey to be that matter. This is your role. And you have to be happy of being part of the of the Noe arc in that condition. You are the sexual matter. Yeah, it's also based. I mean, following what we spoke about on the Teoluakas uh, case, on a, f a form of uh, no, on a real fantasy on the black body, um, the way that the French uh, narrative, national narrative of the black body during colonial time was this very strong body that was used in the um, uh, as a, as a, in the units called Tirailleurs Senegalais, for instance. And there were there are a lot of songs and texts about the this sort of uh, 
exaggeration of the braveness and the, and the strength of these men. But in the end, as you said in the film, I remember very well, Olivier, they put five cops heavily whip on, on one guy to break this body, and they break it because it's a human body. So they have fantasized the strength of the guy, of, of Theo, Luakas. And, and I think this, this it's also very interesting here, uh, Olivier, in the way that all societies have been, um, when they have been like uh, through uncertain times, creating a scapegoat to explain their own problems. And the scapegoats, is as, as Jacques Lacan explained, is most of the time based on what the others that you fantasize ha would have that you do not, do not have. The black has a, a, str a strong body, for instance, I don't want to go into this fantasy of sexuality, but you know also what I mean. The Jews might have money, and we know that Jews are also poor, particularly in the outskirts where we come from. So the, all this cliché of the that helps to 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 like uh, really uh, uh, create the other as a scapegoat that um that 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 i think uh, uh evoking the notion of libido i'm thinking about lyotard the libidinal economy in which the enjoyment of the object the desire of the object works through a sort of uh, passion processes also that you 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 know what i mean you know what i mean yeah, but I, I don't think I don't think what is interesting in that case, and we both work on that, is trying now to reintroduce those really specific treatment to a global uh, structure of the capitalism, which is for me, at the moment, what we are living with the social media extra with the with the time of the internet. This is the notion of availability of people, and so. If we try to come back to that, what is asked to a certain kind of body, and this is also for me one of the possible lecture of the notion of separatism, which is now on the table uh, on the French government, is that everybody has to be available for the cognitive capitalism, for the libido of that system. That means that in a certain way, as often I'm doing, when I'm trying about minority of racialized people, it's always to talk about all the society. I don't fall, I don't want to fall in the trap of, of talking about specificity of people called identity and so on. I think for me, the racialized question is interesting cause it's, it's, trace the possibility of a specific understanding of a global uh, problem. It's not is a specific entry in a global problem. It's not a specific entry in a specific problem. Racism is a problem for the whole society. It's not only a problem for people of color. And sexism is not only a problem for women and so, so on. So for me, what is really important in that case is that the notion of availability of resources if we consider that now we name people, even in the, in the company, we name them human resources. It's not workers anymore, they are human resources. And so I think people of color are human resources since the really beginning of the capitalism. It's a long story. And transforming the way they are resources is not, <laughs> it's not an option. It's not because people are nice, but 
keep keep on but they keep on using you as a resource that is a better uh, situation than before that's where the, some people don't understand that the poem is being a resource f for fantasy and when i talk for a kind of global play you know the our governments since a long time they keep on organize, organizing a kind of you know a spectacular way of politics is not only laws and so on it's also the kind of uh, an issue of representation not only in a sense of being the representant of the society but also producing representation for the society that means that you are producing some kind of scenes when there is good, bad, emotion, tension. It's a kind of, you have to be a bit playful in a way. That's why the kind of violence uh, discourse are so, uh, creates so, so many, um, uh, have so many people around. Because it creates a kind of attentions and attentions, as in a drama. So we are living in a kind of global drama. And so, my point of view is that we have to refuse to play the role that have been decided by order for us, even the good or the bad role. You can have, you can use myself in your drama. I don't want to be part of your film. I don't want to be part of your play. Cause there is a play. Cause the body of uh, of uh, of a black man killed or wounded by the police is used in the drama. To show to other people the danger of being that body, even and and people receiving uh, I don't know prize, I don't know attention, visibility, they are also part of a kind of storytelling and play. So this is something for me really central to says to try to get out from that availability as a resource for uh, mise en scène that is not the life you want to have. And so the veil is that, in a way, is a refusal of women to be women in between women, exotic women in between women. Some people accepting to be the exotics, people in museum, in there and there, and other people refuse. And we can consider this a political statement. I, I do understand why you refuse to, to, to give your body to a global availableness of people. And so... So I think the experience of the slavery has not has to be used as a kind of debt that the society has to pay, but as a kind of tool that, that is able to show you the primitive sin, as we say in, in a psych, um, psych, psychoanalysis, that primitive sin. I think the plantation and the slavery time, they are primitive sin of what we are living now. And you know, I'm not that kind of people saying or claiming something about that, except to look at the primitive sense to understand the, the, the pattern that is still uh, working in other forms now, and in other kind of emotional dimension. And to come back to the habita to the master house, l'habitation, it just to says that if there is no more that kind of slavery, I would say, no, no more slavery, no more that kind of slavery in our society. It's because everybody is in the house now. In the Western uh, country, I mean, because the, the fields are outside of a Western country. We, are, we, got, we got slaves, but they are far away. But in our nation, everybody is in the house. So we have to learn more what happened in the house during the slavery time. Because there is another... A structural violence that we don't know really well and we don't really understand how it worked. 
And we have to understand it to understand what we are living, being all in the in the master house at the moment. Olivier, just to finish with the, the, the this notion of the veil and Islamophobia, I was listening to you carefully, and it came uh, a question came to my mind about. Of course, I mean, what do you think about the neoliberalization of Islamism as well? You know, when Nike, for instance, is uh, producing veils with the Nike symbols and things like that. I'm actually mirroring this question of Nike, uh, I mean, neoliberal Islamism that, that use like the, the veil uh, to, 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 to produce uh, profit with your argument on the accepted Uh, a loud, uh, veiled woman who would be queer. I think what you said is always the, um, the global story of what is the neoliberalism and the plasticity of the capitalism. That means that as the gaze of the, the colonial gaze I talked before is the gaze that refused that somebody, uh, something, somebody, anything could be out of, of this visual world. That's what Maroon did. Not only a struggle, it's also gain out, discovering an out of that gaze and living out of that gaze. That that is for me one of the of the strongest gesture of the Maroon in certain way. It's not only the struggles, you know, uh, the way they, they fight back because they need to survive, but it's also the capacity to to be in, to be extract, to be out of the capitalism for a moment. Even in contingency, it's not a kind of ideal idea of being totally out. You are always out with contingency because all the resources were in the plantation. So the maroon ran around and they were coming there doing razia to, to take things there because they, they got that kind of contingency because in a dependency. On, on. And so the, for me, the dependency, just to say that, the dependency is not a problem. We are all dependent of a global system which is super strong. It's not a reason to accept, to, to consent to everything. This is really just to say, this is no, I, never, I will never defend a kind of Eric position saying there is a radical outside. There is no radical outside. There is only one Earth we are on. So all part of the world got certain kind of level of toxicity. And we have tried to find the place less toxic for us and to try to, to create something there. But just people have to accept you You can get out of the most toxic place. So there is only one world, but there is really toxic places and there is less toxic places. So the Maroon movement is coming from the radical toxicity to a less radical world, but keep keeping a kind of dependency with the most toxic part, which is the life that we have. And so for me, it's super important. So when Nike says they are doing that with Muslim women in one end, but also with queer people, with trans people with in the other end. And finally, it has been super quick because uh, as soon as we get that it would be possible to be a trans person, an homosexual person, a queer person, uh, um, but being in a super conservative or far right or pro-capitalist, as soon as we understand it, it's happened. It happened really quick. So finally, the debate for me is closed. Okay, it's a possibility. So being a person coming from the minority doesn't protect you of being part of the master house point. I think that the, the idea, and I get the idea because I was super involved in the kind of, uh, of uh, activism for queer people, for the time of ACT UP and so on. And so we saw 
that that things came to us and transform all the kind of you know the the balance of the society and we discover for instance in the center of paris in the in the in a district like le marais that it became an homosexual uh, area but super conservative and voting super on the right because they want to protect them from another so we know that now and i would say okay it, it's a, it's some terms of our debate we don't have to have any ideal vision of what a minority is okay but we have to propose other alternatives other form of living there is no fatality. It's not because we are all in the master house. There is nowhere to get out for a day, for two days, for a few days, for a month. You know, for the the, the story of the Maronage is exactly that. Slave, the slave, they, they never live in one time. For sometimes they only live one day, two day, three day. They experiment the potentiality of not being in. We, we need the same kind of gesture to to have the energy, the courage, the desire enough to say, let's experiment the other way of doing, even if for one year, even if for a few months. Let's keep that potentiality. And I do think, which is really <laughs> tricky, that to survive, one of the strategies of the capitalism is to let us having those spaces. Because it's a clever system. It's a very clever system. So letting space to breathe is a necessity to keep to keep a vivid matter. They need some resources. And if the human are totally are totally destroyed, you know, if the human are totally without any desire, they are not useful uh, anymore for the system. So I do think there is movement of absorption of the system. And there is an obligation of reopening some spaces to breathe because otherwise humanity won't be able to keep on the system. So there is that tricky things that we are trapped in. And just, I think we have to keep in mind that to experiment, even with the time we have, with the energy we have, you are, you, you did um, that kind of attempt called La Colonie, which were a big attempt. But in other way, when, when it closed, I, I, I wrote about that, that, we don't have to defend a kind of never-ending project. We are experimenting form of life, form of life which are fragile, and we have to accept it. It's okay. People say, "Oh, I'm so sad." Even if they don't do anything for the project, they say, "Oh, I'm so sad." Okay, well, but we fucking don't care about your sadness in that case. I'm sorry, but I think the point is that it's happened, so it gives in our personal history. A statement it's happened it's possible we can do that and other people have to do the job and uh, and other people have to have some rest to come back to the struggle later this is an organic process it's not an eric process we are doing what we can do but there is way of doing it's possible it's not impossible so there is no way of going and playing the kind of happy minority in big art institution without without trying to do anything else and to follow these um, uh, comments on the self-extraction for the system, I have a half of a question, which is, is there in the universal myth a social segregation that destroys people who voluntarily extract themselves from the system or have been extracted from it in spite of themselves? That would be inherent 
in the universalism and capitalism relation and its ultra-liberal hardening since the 80s that encourages lottering and maintains this situation post-slavery and post-coloniality. I'm actually referring here, Olivier, about the conversation we had on the fact that after the decree of the abolition of slavery in France in 1848, the laws against vagrancy perpetrated the property relationship of yesterday's masters who became employers over former slaves. Indeed, if they were arrested by the police without document proving that they were working, they were put in prison. So do you have the impression that this is enhanced even today with this neoliberal uh, enhance, enhancement? I think first thing is that uh, you point our role of storyteller. I, I told that story several times to make people understand why we don't think that the abolition is an abolition. Because first thing, the first gesture of France is to say that it's because we are nice and generous people that we, we decide to end with the slavery, which is not true, which is really not true and really easy to find that information. But most of people say, okay, there is the abolition of slavery, so on. No, the abolition of slavery come, uh, came at a moment where the colonial strategy were different for economical reasons. They decide to decree indigena in uh, so some laws in the context of Algeria, for instance, but also in Asia, the colonial French system changed, and so they decide to change also in the context of the of the plantation because it was not uh, efficient anymore. So it's a really uh, the abolition is a technical and an economical decision. For first thing, it's really important because I think if we want to unlearn the, the, the stories and, and learn it again, we have to point that. And so it's super interesting again, because for me, it's not specific, it's global. It shows you how a system change uh, to, be, uh, to keep on its efficiency in an economical level and how its story tells at the same time its transformation to create a kind of positive dynamic in the sense of social dynamic. People are were happy of the end of the with the end of the slavery. I mean in the metropolitan France, they are happy and leftists were happy. But in but you know at that time the left and the right agreed in uh, on the fact that colonialism was necessary for the French economy. There was no debate about that question. There was only debate about the way of doing that. And so in the assembly in France, we mean it was the third, at the time of the third uh, um, republic, that is one of the most uh, ambitious moments of the post-French revolution, they agreed with the fact that the colonization was a necessity for the French economy. There was no debate about that. The debate was about kind of moral debate about slavery, for instance, but also a kind of tension that we have to keep in mind about, about the white Creole living in the colony and the metropolitan power because they were not on the same line in, in the way of dealing with economy. So there was also internal conflicts in the French capitalism that produced the abolition too. So we have to keep in mind that there is the, 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 the main storytelling is just a kind of, uh, it's a shield to blind an economical switch. So, of course, it's super interesting for what we are living now. And again, coming back to that primitive scene is not to complain, is not to be a victim. It's a kind of intellectual tool to understand the, the, the structure we're living in. Of course, 
its transformation for economical reasons are now storytell with some of um, emotion, emotional and, um, yeah, they, they give other qualities of things. If they want to need to exploit, exploit people, they, they know that they can uh, force them. So they have to, to get, the, again, their consent. I think the notion of consent for me is central because I think there is that coercive system of the slavery that ends because they, they, they felt that if people don't accept those conditions, they, they will finish to revolt themselves. And as they saw in Haiti, just the island beside, the system explodes and it's a revolution. To avoid the popular, the popular revolution, you have to get the consent of people. And so... I think it's really central is the new form of capitalism we are living in, the post-slavery one, is based on a, on a certain kind of consent. And, you know, the most interesting example of that is really what uh, Margaret Thatcher did during the 80s in the UK. She says, okay, we can't, we can't keep on uh, struggling with, you know, the working class in the UK because it creates a kind of uh, working class identity because in the struggle as you know in a protest it created a kind of collective body of feeling okay we are something so to destroy it this says no we don't we have to break the projection in the working class people in the working class identity to have a kind of projection towards what we call petit bourgeois so you are, we have to change the desire in the mind of people. And she really succeeded really well in that, saying each workers in a factory want to be a petit bourgeois. And it's the same process that always happened to destroy any struggle. For instance, and, and the racial uh, struggle will, uh, will leave the same thing as it happened in, already in the States, creating a kind of black bourgeoisie, and in the UK too. So I think we know that to destroy a struggle, you have to destroy the, the collective identity of that body, creating other kind of desire and opposing the desire inside. That's why I always say that for me, the rational question, for me, the rational question is a post-Marxist question. If it's not that, I'm totally not interested in talking about race as a kind of... Uh, feelings and so on. I'm super interested in, in the black poetics. I'm super interested in the black literature. I'm super, but in a perspective of building a post-Marxist tools, which is more complex, more efficient, and, and that, that, that is able also to have intersection with gender, territory, cultural dimensions. But as I did that his time, Stuart Hall did, as a way to point the, um, what the Marxism, where the Marxism is not sufficient, all the blind spot of the Marxism. And Stuart Hall did it really well, saying we have to create other level of understanding to complexify the Marxism, but not to replace it by a kind of identity politics without any um, reflection about what the capitalism is and how the capitalism can use uh, racial identity really easily. It's really easy. We, you, you see like black entrepreneur and the black is beautiful and so on. For me, it's really easy. Why? 
course, we are living at that moment of what I call the narcissistic moment of the capitalism. And so we know that people of color, minority, and we have to confess that, that we are fragile on that side, on the narcissistic, on the narcissist side. We are fragile more than others because we have been so under steam, so violently under steam that we need a certain kind of narcissistic input to feel ourselves as real human. It's, it's sad to say that, but I do think this is the problem. As soon as we're able to take our desire out of that desire of being considered as human, as others, being proud of yourself, you, you can have another kind of life. That's why I says, okay, I can accept to be a criminal body and criminal life. I can accept it because I don't want to get a new desire of changing my desire. I can't. I don't want, as I said to finish, I don't want to live in your eyes. I'm not living in your eyes. And so this is Joe Star, one of the singers of NTM, a group of our generation, said that to Zemmour. When Zemmour says, you are a bad example for French, uh, for, for local young people in the outskirts. And Joe Star, which is a really clever person, he says, yeah, this is your point of view, but I'm not living in your eye. And saying that I'm not living in your eye is really a sensual statement. You think that, but I don't care you think that. Because I don't, li- I, 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 I broke your eyes as a prison. I, bro- I broke your gaze. And I'm a person, so I don't need to consider what you think about me. I don't care about that, sorry. Thank you very much, Olivier. It links us directly to the next question, which is very important. It has to do with this notion of anti-intellectualism we've been talking about recently. Is there, in your opinion, a link between the institutional counter-reaction that attacks decolonial thought most of whose university leaders are on the left and on the right, and what you call the anti-intellectualism expected of the non-bourgeois racialized people whose fragility is more easily exploited by a pseudo-equalitarian universal thought. Yeah, but I don't think it can. Yeah, I can keep on with that idea of living an eye. I think... We really see what's happening with the with that decolonial scene. In a certain way, what happened? There were some good things and nice things that happened, for instance, with the Black Lives Matter movements, which have been really um, precisely, uh, I would say, resituated in the French context by mainly, uh, for instance, the Comité Adama. And Adama's committeeism did a really nice thing. So instead of staying on the level on the George Floyd and abstract Black Lives Matter movements, they have been able to translate in that way, uh, in the French context, the police violence uh, problematic, which have been really nice. And what happened at that moment? It had been something during last June. It had been a lot of energy in that. And what's happened in the, in the main uh, media we heard for the first time, or one of the first time at that level, about uh, the systemic racism, for instance, which have been for a really long time an intellectual concept or an activist concept coming from the uh, Indigenous de la République, mainly, from the activist side and also more in the academic context. So it has been a really specific 
uh, way of talking about the racism, not on a personal or on an emotional uh, level, but on a structural level. And so I've been surprised and, and also happy to hear it on TV and elsewhere. So something happened. And the other things that happen is that in the TV debate, and the French TV is super conservative, more than the society, I think, uh, they had some debate in between uh, people of color, mainly women, I would say, uh, and that kind of uh, everyday speaker on the conservative TV, mostly male and white. And what happened is what? What happened is that all uh, all the the speech about those people of color were super well articulated, and in a lot of different contexts, a lot of different interviews they did on the street. What the state saw is that there is now a more global articulation of the racial question in France, which is quite new. So there is a kind of transmission in between the more intellectual sphere to a larger part of the society, and people understood, and mainly people of color, that it was necessary uh, to have more, let's say, weapon to fight back uh, and to speak back uh, in the context of the of the systemic racism in France. And so, when the when the French government saw that they make a decision to fight back too. And so we were sure that it could happen, and it happened stronger than we thought, of course, as usually. And what they did, first things, they, they decided to try to break that really fresh and new connection in between intellectual sphere, academics, and activism. And also in between the intellectual field, the, uh, all the, the research field, and the people. For instance, when we, you read some books or some statement or some interview of somebody like Lilian Thuram, I like it as a football player. He has been, yeah, it has been an incredible, uh, strong football player. But it's not really often in the world when a football player is supposed to address racism with so uh, a so delicate way of saying things. And the first time I heard him on the radio about racism, and after I saw his book, he that guy read some things I know. And so he was using a lot of, of uh, yeah, a lot of reflection coming from the academy. So I think all those connections frayed the French state and say we have to break it the, at two levels. So we have to point a gun, and it's really a gun, a conceptual gun, but a gun, uh, on the on the intellectual, on the academy, and through the university, and says it won't be possible anymore to make any career in the academic sphere in France with that kind of decolonial thematic, and also all the gender radical, all the question about, and all the intersectional question are going to be pushed out for the university. And in certain way, the target is not the well-known intellectual that are already there. It's more the PhD student and people that are coming and they want to be because they want to be part of that. Because what all the teachers saw and our enemy in university, they saw so many students interested in the decolonial theory, the gender theory, and so on. So they, they saw the future. And they decide to cut the possibility of that future really structurally, because in France the university depends on the state. It's not the same things that what's happening in America, in the in the state or in the UK, which is problematic for us in the French perspective, because it's not open to 
everybody has it open in France. But the advantage of the UK and American system is that you can have uh, Angela, Day, Angela Davis as a teacher, for instance, which is not possible in France because when you have been in prison, you can't be a teacher in university in France. So this is small details, but that is central. Our system in France, what is based on the state and the poor of the state, is more generous, I would say, for students because there is more diversity of students. But the problem, in the other sense, is that the state is the boss. And so where the state says we won't open any position for people in the decolonial and so on question, it's a, it's a really strong weapon to avoid the... Um, the dynamic to, to destroy the dynamic that have been created around the colonial gender question and so on. That is one point. And the other point, which is that one is really well known, but we are still it's still a super strong trap. The second point is really the opposition in between working class society and the intellectual. And of course, without saying that at the moment what changed in France is that the intellectuals are not only white anymore. So I think that they, they use a really easy way of saying those people are talking for you, but they are not like you. And so, of course, it's, it's a really lot of tension when you are coming like you and I from that, uh, that working class background because we are in between in a world where most of the people are coming for, for the, the middle class or, or the high, high middle class. So we know that there is a class issue which is true. But it doesn't mean that people coming from the working class will acknowledge us as different than others. So we have to make that work. And the government wants to blur it. And it says, okay, those were, they are intellectual, they are out of the world, they are living in their bubble, and you, you are the real people. But this is also the solution of the capitalism. You are consumers, so you are the real people. You are consumers, so you are, you are the real people. So it's not a new trap. But I think it's re-articulated specifically on people of color. But we have to learn about what's happened in the state with that. We have to learn about what's happened in the UK about that question. Because we got, we got, finally, there is a, a problem with France is that kind of delay we have from, with those questions, despite, the, 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 despite our colonial history, which is huge. And so we are first to understand that our state have been much more efficient than any other state in the world to counterattack all the decolonial deconstruction. It's incredible in a certain way that we only on that now, those last, let's say, 25 years, 30 years, let's say, to be generous, when you were one of the biggest empires of the world, it's incredible. So they have been successful in uh, blocking the possibility of that debate. Now the debate is open, but they are strong and they're able to do things that even other states won't do. You see, the, for instance, the president deciding, the assembly deciding, or the senate deciding that you can study that and you can be a teacher with those kind of questions. It's not everywhere that's happening in a democracy, I mean. So we have to be aware that, that we are in front of a super strong system that saw new patterns, new, new situation happening. And since few years, let's say the 10th last years have been super dense for, that, for our questions. 
And so the Black Lives Matter moments, imagine the big protest with the Comité Adama will never beat so many people in the street in France against the police. It have been the sign of, okay, this is, this is the end. We, we don't play anymore. Now we come to attack officially and we don't hide ourselves. So this, the anti-intellectualism is one of the, of the strategy, but I think they will have also the strategy of the good black and, uh, and, the, and the bad black. We are on the threshold of it at the moment. That means that there are those who want to participate to institution, to play their role, and others that are separatism. So all the gap you want to create saying, I want to breathe in another space, everything you want to create out of that gaze, it's as if you were as a woman with a veil. And that is really interesting in that situation that we are now in the same pack. It used to be something specific now, separatism says all those people, what they call in France, Islamo-leftism. The Islamo-leftism put the Islamism, the Muslim, the leftists, all in, the, in only one package. In certain way, if we succeed in making an alliance by being pushed out, it would be nice. So we have to accept. People try to defend themselves of being, oh, I'm not an Islamo-leftism. Okay, if each time you critique Israel, you become an Islam-leftist. So it's really quick. And what is really specific, for instance, if you make some comparison with the specific of each country, in France, in the left, is able really to address some critics to Israel. It's not the case, the case in Germany, for instance. So you see, there is not a Western situation. We also globally understand what the Western is, but inside that question, there is different positions. And so, for instance, all the attacks against somebody like Ashimembe in Germany are in certain ways specific of the German context. So we have to understand what is common and what is specific, because uh, we, we don't deal with some question for the same reason for the relation between Germany and Israel is really specific, of course, as I think the relation in between France and Algeria is really specific too. And of course, talking about the Arabic context can be the same thing from the state's perspective than for the French perspective. Of course, this, it is totally not the same kind of relationship. I think for me, Algeria is a part of the history of France. So it's not, it's not only a neighbor, he's a, he's, he's a body, is a part of the body. And not as a possession in the sense of to be the owner, but as a possession in a psychological level. I think for me, the, the, the mood, the identity, the French identity is aunt by the Algerian ghost. And we have to deal with that things really seriously. So, of course, when we are talking about, to come back to the beginning, about the blackness, as American and UK people would say, we cannot do the same thing because, for instance, of our really specific relationship with Islam and with, uh, and with Algerian in our history. It creates another kind of blackness. And, and I like that idea that we have to be able to transmit to our allies our common problem, but also our difference. I learned a lot in different contexts than in France about, okay, you are dealing with that, with that, and so blind spots are more there than here. We have to be able, for instance, in seminar we are, we are organizing often, it's never, not really often that it's addressed the difference in different countries. And I like when I heard 
more recently speakers coming from the the Eastern Europe. And all the other mythology, all the uh, and continuing for for uh, for instance the Austrian Hungarian Empire, which is not something you have in mind when you are in France, but but for people living in that region, it used to have an, in, an internal uh, empire in Europe, which is still really important in the way of uh, for instance Austrian people are uh, performing their identity as a kind of uh, paradise lost. So I think we have to make an effort to inform ourselves of a different uh, mythology too.